While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. You know, at one time there must have been dozens of companies making buggy whips. And I'll bet the last company around was the one that made the best buggy whip you ever saw. Now, how would you have liked to have been a stockholder in that company? Well, would you like to be a stockholder in that company? That, of course, is Danny DeVito in a movie called Other People's Money, which is actually a pretty good movie. He's talking about how businesses move on. Technologies and ideas age out, and new ideas take their place. I know all about it. I worked my way through college and for a few years afterwards working in one-hour photo labs. My best friend Frank worked in a record shop. Now, there are still record shops today, but it isn't the same. So this is Moving Through Georgia, and today we're going to take a look at some defunct and some obsolete industries in Georgia. Of course, when you think about extinct industries in Georgia, the first thing that springs to mind was really the first industry in Georgia, and that is silk. James Oglethorpe had a vision for Savannah. He wanted it to be a center of silk production. He even brought over silk masters from Italy to get the project started. There is excellent reasoning for this. James Oglethorpe was always very aware of the Spanish in St. Augustine. In South Carolina, people were widely spread out on large cotton plantations. It could take days for word to get out and for militias to form if an invading army appeared on their doorstep. And with slavery in action, not all the able-bodied men could answer the call. The Spanish would be actively encouraging slave insurrections, so a lot of the men would have to stay home to keep an eye on the place. Oglethorpe wanted his people close together where they could gather quickly in case of an invasion. The people of Savannah did manage to raise some worms and create some silk and even ship it back to England. About 25 miles from Savannah was a small colony of German-speaking immigrants and they also managed to create and export some silk. However, the silk industry was difficult. Temperature changes were tough on the worms. The New Georgia Encyclopedia says that that is the main reason why silk production died out in Georgia, but I have a different idea. A lot of the people who initially came to Georgia were under crushing debt, even though they may have been working long, arduous hours at British woolen mills. The idea of coming to Georgia and working long, arduous hours at a Georgia silk weaving mill just wasn't that attractive. Yes, a thriving silk industry would have brought a huge amount of money to the colony, but I think these people knew from experience back home that that money probably wouldn't have ended up in their pockets. A person had a better chance to strike out and make their fortune by getting some land and growing cotton. And a large cotton plantation, of course, would require slaves. Silk production hung on here and there, and never really entirely faded away. There's a town called Canton in Cherokee County, which is named after a Chinese center of silk production, and they made a good go of it until the 1800s, but it never really worked. 
Next, we're going to look at some industries from the town of Demarest, and the first will be the Floor Saddle Tree Company. Run by a fellow named Edward Floor, it was the only one like it in the South. At its peak, it made 7,000 dozen saddle trees a year. That's how this newspaper article describes it, 7,000 dozen saddle trees. Okay, so what is a saddle tree? A saddle tree is a wooden form upon which a saddle is made. They come in different sizes so that you can create a saddle perfectly fit to a particular horse. And that's, I think, why they describe it as 7,000 dozen. If you had a fairly large ranch, you would have a fairly wide variety of horse sizes, so you would need different size saddle trees. During the Boer War, and that was when the Boer people pushed the British out of South Africa and established the country of South Africa, the Floor Saddle Tree Company sold hundreds of these to the British Army. Of course, there are still horses today, and people still ride them, so there are companies that sell saddle trees. Look it up if you're interested. They're fairly complicated, but it's an interesting process. Edward Floor's son, Oscar, helped form the firm of Nixon Floor. They made primarily things that folded. They made folding settees and school desks that could be packed up and relocated easily. They also made a unique product called a sliding backband. Now you may ask, what is a backband and why do I care if it slides? Well, a wagon would have two poles coming out of the front that would connect to the harness of a horse. That harness is known as a backband. The unique properties of this particular backband, which was produced only in Demarest, didn't hurt the horse's back because it never actually touched the back. I'm not 100% sure how that worked, but this newspaper article assures me that it does. And while we're on the subject of things that fold, let's talk about the Southern Novelty Works. They created the McDonald Dental Chair. This was a dental chair that could be folded up and moved from one place to another. As they describe in their ads, the peripatetic dentist could bring this chair any place it is needed. They sold these things all over the world. Now, there was a lot of colonization happening at the time, and a folding dental chair could be a boon to a frontier dentist or a settler with a toothache. And if we can make a folding dental chair, what else can we fold up? Well, the Demarest Company, which basically founded the city of Demarest, produced the Goodrich Bathtub, which was a self-heating, folding bathtub. When I first heard about folding bathtubs, I thought of the canvas folding bathtubs that you see in camping stores. Um, this isn't it. This is a bathtub that actually folds up as one unit into the wall you would pull it down and it would be a bathtub. You would fill it full of water, take a bath, drain the water, and then push it back up into the wall. I actually had the idea for this episode because I saw a folding bathtub in a television commercial. A real estate agent was showing a couple around the house and he folded out a thing he called a Murphy tub. It's like a Murphy bed, but a tub. Now, of course, in the commercial, it was full of water and it made a terrible mess, but that is basically the principle of the folding bathtub. 
If you Google Goodrich Bathtub, you will see advertisements for it. I found one in a newspaper in Detroit. Go a little further down into Banks County and you will come across another remnant of an industry that isn't what it used to be, and that is a cotton gin. I actually got to wander around a cotton gin that had basically been abandoned in place. It had a loading platform and large tubes coming from the ceiling, and the cotton would get sucked up into the tubes, it would get ginned, and the seeds would be housed in the seed house. Up until the Civil War, most cotton planters had fairly small gins on their own property. After the war, the idea of larger, more efficient factory-like gins took hold. Also, it became more efficient for farmers to just bring the cotton to the gin, where it would be ginned, baled, stored, and then shipped out on railroads. This is how it was done in Banks County until the bull weevil basically took the bottom out of the cotton industry. Of course, there are still companies that grow and process cotton, and these companies do need cotton gins. The Georgia Cotton Commission says that there are currently 59 cotton gins working in Georgia. Many of them have been produced by the Lummis Corporation, which is located in Savannah. Near the Sauti Nikuchi Valley is a 2,200-foot-tall mountain called Sal Mountain. Sal Mountain was one location for Northeast Georgia's asbestos mines. Sal Mountain was the first. They started production in 1894. Throughout the 1900s, there would be up to 20 mines working at the same time, pulling this stuff out of the ground. There are different kinds of asbestos, but coming out of the ground, it looks like sort of a fibrous kind of crystal structure. It's been around for a long time. Marco Polo mentions it. It's even possible that Charlemagne had some fabrics in his palace that had asbestos woven into them. It's an excellent insulator for heat, and of course it is very fire-resistant, and that's what made it such an important building material in the 20th century. But, of course, in the very early 1900s, doctors began noticing the negative health effects on people who were mining asbestos. One town that supported both asbestos mines and logging was a little town in White County called Helen, founded in 1912. By 1969, the timber industry had more or less moved on, and asbestos mining wasn't what it used to be. Helen had been reduced to basically one row of concrete buildings. That's when a North Georgia artist named John Colick came up with an idea to turn it into a replica Bavarian town. And did they ever? Anyone who's been to Helen will know that they draw lots of tourism and money to the area. It is definitely a success story. And before we do our last industry, I just want to remind you that this is Moving Through Georgia, a history podcast that focuses mostly on Northeast Georgia, but wanders around. And one way you can keep this podcast from becoming obsolete is by giving us five stars on any podcast app you listen on. I'd like to do another episode on industries that have passed by. And if you have any stories to share, especially if you worked at maybe the uh, the Cornelia Veneer Company or the Cornelia Broom Company, I would love to hear from you. The email address is movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. And that's all one word. And the last industry we're going to talk about is the Tacoa Casket Company. It was started by a fellow named R.W. McNeely, who worked in the Simmons Furniture Company in Tacoa. 
The original owner closed the business. McNeely bought it and continued producing wooden objects like cradles and caskets. Besides the actual factory, there was a location on Doyle Street in Toccoa, and there is a historical marker there put up by the city. It mentions that that building had a furniture and hardware store on the first floor, a casket company on the second floor, and a mortuary on the third floor. Both the company and Mr. McNeely were very successful. McNeely was elected mayor of Toccoa three times. The Tacoa Casket Company was the largest supplier of caskets to the U.S. military up until the end of the Vietnam War, and there is a story that they produced a custom-made casket in which would lie Martin Luther King. The company and its buildings may be gone, but the industry hasn't entirely left the area. There is a working company called the Gin Casket Company, which does still produce funeral items. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe From an aide that pretty gal to Georgia That's all